say, was there a game yesterday? Because uh, I could have swore meaningful football ended like three weeks ago. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Lombardi Tom Bruiser. I'm your host, John Delray. Today, taking a look at what the national pundits have to say, what they're hearing, what they're thinking when it comes to the Green Bay Packers and what they're going to do in round one of the 2024 NFL Draft. Yes, that's right. We are finally in draft season. And, you know, I wanted to stick really today to some of the national guys. Now, I will say right here at the forefront, some of the national guys have not put out mocks in a while. Now that the Super Bowl is concluded, I would think that they're going too soon, but I really wanted to stick to a few recent ones. So I took a lot from NFL.com, CBS Sports, etc. All mocks done since the beginning of February. So realistically, kind of over the last two weeks. And I think you're certainly going to see some definitive trends with what people are thinking the Packers are going to do in round one of this draft. Before we completely dive into the drafts that I found, though, just a few heads up. One, Wednesday, 4 o'clock, our usual Q&A. Friday is actually going to be my first mock draft. I know some of you out there have been waiting for it, so it's coming on Friday. So, and then also at the end of this video today, I'm doing the mock drafts first, but like at the end, there's a few details that I wanted to clean up from the salary cap video that I put out on Friday. A few things that I just wanted to clarify that I did get messaged a couple questions about. So I'm going to do that at the end as well. So let's get right to it. Mock draft number one. And you're going to see so, so much of this, by the way, I'm working for most recent backwards, but, uh, Oh, you're going to see so much, so much of that guy. So the first mock draft we're going to cover is Chad Reuter from NFL.com, put out actually earlier today. He's calling for the Packers to actually do a trade with the Kansas City Chiefs, dropping back from pick 25 back to 32 is compensation. They also get the Chiefs, sorry, third round pick and fifth round pick this year. So the Packers, I guess, need more picks. Either way, at pick 32, they picked that guy right there, Cooper DeGene, 21 years old, from Iowa. And the reasoning from Reuter is that basically the Lions last year got their do-it-all secondary guy in Brian Branch, in part because of a trade with the Packers. Well, now the Packers need to get their do-it-all guy in the secondary, and that most certainly is Cooper DeGene. Another one, Trevor Sikama from PFF. He put out his mock draft again today, but he has them staying at pick 25. And frankly, there's no reason to change the picture there if you're watching the video version, because uh, yeah, he also went with Cooper DeGene and his rationale is Packers could play him in the slot on day one. He's got some outside flexibility. He can do it all for secondary that on some level kind of needs it all. Now we do get to change the picture for the next guy because the third mock draft here came from Ryan Wilson of CBS Sports. His another post-Super Bowl one put out earlier today. He has them sticking at pick 25, but going a different direction, choosing that guy right there. Number one, Cool Aid McKinstry, 21 years old from Alabama. And he gives the rationale of he's got legit NFL cover skills that the Packers could use. The real concern with McKinstry could hopefully be resolved at the combine. Because keep in mind, all of this is pre-combine. So much of this could change once we actually get the guy's athletic profiles, especially given the Packers' athletic thresholds. But McKinstry, the concern here is maybe he's lacking in deep speed. But in terms of coverage ability, he's got it. And he throws in some punt return too, which, you know, isn't the worst thing. 
Next mock would come from Nick Bumgarner of The Athletic, one of The Athletic's more higher-profile mock drafts right now. And at pick 25, he has them going with a large individual. That would be tackle from Arizona, Jordan Morgan, 22 years old. Pass-blocking skills are evident. However, and this is noted by Bumgarner, he may move inside. In the NFL, some people are projecting him more as an interior offensive lineman as opposed to a tackle in spite of those true pass blocking skills. Partly, we're going to have to see how he tests, what his arm length is, etc., etc. Moving on to the next individual, this would be Cynthia Freeland from NFL.com. This was mock was produced on February 9th, 2024, again, sticking at pick 25. However, a different member of the secondary this time, she opted for Nate Wiggins from the University of Clemson. And I got to tell you, I really like this part right here. He's 20 years old. Yeah, 20 years old. We know Brian Goodikens adores guys who are younger than their class dictates. He wants them as young as possible in round one, no doubt about it. Nate Wiggins fits the mold. Why? For the Packers, though, Freeland mentions blazing speed. The guy should test incredibly well in the speed department. Also, new defensive coordinator Jeff Halfley has seen him up close when he was playing at Clemson and Halfley was the head coach at Boston College. And he also exhibits sticky man traits, certainly something that Halfley may just want. Moving on to the next individual, this one is from WalterFootball.com. This is from February 7th, so not too long ago. And again, a familiar name. Yeah, Cooper G. <laughs> the funny thing is, in the mock from Walter of Walter Football himself, there's no rationale offered. Just, uh, yeah, they need secondary. He's good at it. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's about it. Now, veering off to the Empire ESPN itself, as I mentioned, Mel Kuyper, it's been a while since he's put out a mock draft, his last one in late January. So Matt Miller more recently put one out, another one of their draft nicks, and he put this out on February 5th, not too long ago. And again, yeah, you're picking up on the trend that I mentioned. 21-year-old from Iowa, Cooper DeGene, do-it-all cornerback who will match well with Halfley's wants. Simple enough. Now. As for a little bit of a changeup, let's go Lance Zierlein of NFL.com again on February 5th. These would all be after the senior bowl, mind you. But uh, someone incredibly swaggy for an offensive lineman, that would be Tyler Guyton. He's a redshirt junior out of the University of Oklahoma. Big, long, athletic, just a big old offensive tackle who would help an awful lot with the David Bakhtiari situation that we're going to be talking about shortly. And I've got some other thoughts on Guyton, which, of course, we'll eventually get to. But as of right now, Zierlein mentioned that rationale as to why the Packers may move in that direction. Sticking with NFL.com, Eric Edholm on February 2nd mentioned, shocking, Cooper DeGeet, 21 years old. <laughs> he basically says Packers have needs all over the secondary, safety and corner and slot. Why not get yourself a guy that can do all of it and then plug in all the holes later? So. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. And then the last one that we're going to talk about here is Doug Farr of USA Today on February 1st. Again, has the Packers sticking at pick 25, going a completely different direction from everybody else, though, and saying that the Packers should choose Braylon Trice, 22 years old, edge from the University of Washington. And frankly, he didn't give any rationale. He just kind of put out the mock. But I can give some. He's one of the larger edges in this draft class, standing at six foot four, 274 pounds. Generally speaking, the Packers, I got to believe, even in this 4-3 defense, part of the reason they can switch 
from the 3-4 base to a 4-3 base so easily is because their edges are big. They're ready to play right on the line. Lucas Van Ness, Rashawn Gary, Preston Smith, they're all big edges. None of these new style, modern edges that are like 240. No, all the Packers guys are 265 plus. And Braylon Trice very much fits right into that at 274 pounds. He's also projected pre-combine to have great athletic traits in spite of that size. And just this last year for the University of Washington, he logged over 70 pressures rushing the quarterback. We all know how much the Packers value pressure sometimes over sacks. So breaking this down for you, out of the 10 mock drafts, uh, the, 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 the pie chart that I made there, <laughs> Cooper, Jean, it's five of the 10 marks uh, have Cooper DeGene. Seven of the 10 at least have them going corner. Kool-Aid McKinstry and Nate Wiggins getting some points there. Two of the 10 have them going with the offensive line in the form of Tyler Guyton, Jordan Morgan, and then of course the one for edge being Braylon Trice. And really, like I do have some thoughts here. I'm just fine with Cooper DeGene because there's no issue with that at all, he seems to fit the Packers profile of what they may be looking for. And hopefully at the combine in just a couple of weeks, he tests athletically to meet all of their thresholds. Keep in mind, the Green Bay Packers are one of the strictest teams in the league when it comes to adhering to their athletic traits, their thresholds, as well as their height, weight, you know, strictness about age in round one. Boots got his tendencies. He's got his preferences. And we're going to spend several talks, several videos, several pods in the future weeks talking about what those thresholds are and whether certain candidates in this year's draft actually meet them or not. Hopefully, DeGene does meet all of them. And there is, of course, the possibility too, since he is so beloved in the draft community, that Cooper DeGene could go early. Most are anticipating Nate Wiggins is certainly going to go earlier than 25 or in the case of G32, like our first mock draft called for. And of course, all that is subject to change with the combine. But I will say the idea of adding a player in the secondary who's got ball skills, who's competent in run support, and can play both zone or man, makes all the sense in the world for what the Packers are looking to do defensively. Now, the scouting reports on DeGene at this point do point out that realistically, he's probably a little bit better in zone than man. He can do press man, certainly, but maybe he's not as fluid in press man as he is being able to backpedal and then pursue upwards like he would in a more traditional zone format. But nonetheless, he's being predicted as a very, very competent nickel safety, or he could play outside as well. And speaking of the nickel position, I know I've seen it suggested a lot. Well, the Packers could just put Jair Alexander at the nickel, and then that solves all the problems that the Packers had at nickel this year. But the thing is, when you go back and really watch the way that Jair plays now, given those shoulders, it does a disservice to the run game to assume that Jair is constantly down in and down out going to go in and mix it up in the run game. So realistically, you need someone at the nickel corner who can do it. And that very well could be DeGene. As for Kool-Aid McKinstry, I've seen a lot of profiles saying maybe he's a little bit more zone than man. And as I mentioned, he's got that concern with top-end speed. Some of his profile actually reminds me a little bit of Razul. So all things to keep in mind with these corners. As for the tackles, it's kind of interesting. Like that guy right there, Jordan Morgan. 
I have a really hard time envisioning that the Packers are going to spend their first round selection on someone who may project as an interior offensive lineman. The Packers spend their first round picks on premium positions with one exception, the year that they chose Devontae Wyatt and Quay Walker stands out as this like shining example for good of veering off of his tendencies. Every other year, it's been a high profile, high athletic position, or even at the very least, a valuable one. Ones that get paid a lot. Well, I'm just not sure you say that about a guy who's projecting in to be a guard. And he is a competent player. As I mentioned, the pass blocking ability, but as Brian Maffey, a Packers draft Nick, and most notably on Twitter, who does a lot of writing for a lot of different websites, points out Morgan's arms may very well be shorter than the Packers thresholds at tackle. So he would project as a guard for them. As for Guyton, yeah, given his athletic profile, he makes a lot of sense at this point. But again, for even the Packers to prioritize tackle in round one probably means that they've got some questions about Rasheed Walker. They don't believe Caleb Jones is ready to step in fully into the Yash Nyman role. And who knows what's going on with David Bakhtiari, who I'm going to talk about in just a minute. And then, of course, the last player to have some thoughts, Braylon Trice. Yeah, I actually like it quite a bit for the Packers in a standard year. He's only a junior. Yeah, 22 is on the older side of things, but like, yeah, he's still only a junior. But the size, the explosion, the projected ability to slide right in as a 4-3 end as opposed to a 3-4 linebacker makes a lot of sense. So all of all of these mocks, which ones probably make the most sense? Yeah, Cooper Jean probably does. And partly is the rationale right here. Ross Uglum on Twitter. Oh, that's kind of terrifying. You see part of me there. But Ross Uglum on Twitter points out in the Super Bowl last night, the Kansas City Chiefs use the 21st pick on a cornerback and they play him more than two to one inside. Nickel is a starting position in this league. Stop playing kick returners, UDFAs, and other teams' practice squad scraps. And I got to say that summarizes my thoughts on the nickel position really, really well, because look, they slotted in Keyshawn Nixon as an unquestioned starter this year. And he really, the play the year prior didn't necessarily warrant that. It did a kick returner, certainly, but not necessarily at nickel corner where he showed some competent play, but not like, oh my God, we got to bring him back and start him every play. And then this year, the unquestioned starter at nickel. And yes, I say starter at nickel because by every single account, it is a starting position in the NFL right now. And the Packers, for this new defense to be successful, especially if they're playing more man, need to treat it like a starting position. So invest in it. And that takes us to our last topic of the day. Speaking of investment, and this is something I really wanted to clear up. I did get a couple messages about it because like, They've, they've heard other things on uh, on uh, on different podcasts about what's going on with David Bakhtiari. And why did I not address the injury settlement aspect of it, like I've mentioned in the past? And so, okay, I decided I kind of want to do over here, and I'm just going to spend a minute talking about it. Basically, March 13th is the start of the new league year for the NFL. And that's a very important date given the David Bakhtiari situation. And the reason that I didn't really cover the injury settlement stuff is because ultimately I have a very hard time believing that the Packers are willfully going to walk themselves right into an injury settlement, but it is a possibility. So let's talk about it. March 13th is a very key date because that is the changeover from the 2023 league year to 2024. And basically, if 
per Ken Ingalls, per people who cover this kind of logistical stuff fully, if they were to release him pre-March 13th, then really they're just looking to have some injury protections, insurance, et cetera, added on to the cap deficit. So if they release David Bakhtiari, yeah, it's $21 million in savings, give or take a couple million, depending on which way the injury protections go, whatever. But by March 13th, they should be perfectly in the clear because they're releasing him in the year that the injury occurred. The newest injury, let's say it that way. However, if they carry him into the 2024 season, that may, and by season, I mean league year, that may show that basically speaking, the Packers are allowing the injury to cover multiple years. And that would entitle David Bakhtiari to 2024's money in the contract if they were to release him due to failed physicals, et cetera. So I'm going to break it down super simple, okay? If the Packers want to release David Bakhtiari, the cleanest method to do it is by doing it before March 13th. If you carry him into 2024 and you release him, still with failed physicals and the whole deal, then realistically, there is a very real possibility that an injury settlement will be coming to the Packers from David Bakhtiari and his camp. Okay, So what that tells me, if the Packers do cut Bakhtiari pre-March 13th, then they don't think he necessarily is going to pass a physical at all, or no matter what, they're going to release him. If they carry him into late March, into the 2024 league year, then that's telling me that the Packers have full faith that he is going to eventually, before the season starts, pass a physical, which then opens up all of the traditional avenues of trading, releasing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's the way that I understand what's going on with the legalese with the NFLPA, grievances, et cetera. Ken Ingles also acknowledges that there is a possibility of things going really sideways here. And per his conversations with some lawyers, like there's possibilities of other types of grievances that aren't normal and the whole deal. This is a very, very convoluted situation. But basically the way that I see it is if they release him before March 13th, it's because they were going to release him no matter what. There is no hope for reclamation with the contract, whatever. They don't even want to try to trade him. They don't want him around next year, whatever. Cut. Gone. Fine. And by doing so in this current league year, you're minimizing your risk of a grievance. Okay. Makes sense. If, however, they hold him past March 13, it indicates to me that there's an assumption he's going to be on the team next year. They think he's going to pass a physical eventually. There's faith that they will rework that contract over the course of the offseason, or they're holding on to him for a trade once he does pass a physical. Although, again, like I said in the original video, that may be a tall order to get a different team's medical staff to ever pass him again. So that is the more inner workings, the more detailed thing. Realistically, if you don't care about any of the semantics, just know that cutting, trading, all that stuff, yeah, it's it's still on the table like it is for realistically any player assuming a past physical eventually occurs. If the Packers have no faith that he's going to pass physical or just going to cut him no matter what, then, yeah, I would expect it to occur before March 13th in order to ward off all of their chances or most of their chances of an injury grievance. So if you've got questions about it, feel free to put them down in the comments. I will go do more research. I'll go try to find out more. We'll see. Basically, this is a situation that we just have to let play out because. 
frankly, as we've seen with the Packers before, we can think we know all the rules about a situation, then Gutekunst just does something different anyway. So, all right. Thank you. Thanks for being here today on Lombardi Time Brews. I do hope you enjoyed. Now, as I mentioned, Wednesday, live Q&A, Friday, my first mock, assuming no huge breaking news that we got to cover otherwise. Do hope you had a great weekend. And as always, go Pack Go! We'll be right back.